Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans twice a week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. here freelance writer player of games writer of origin quarter videos and tabletop role-playing aficionado welcome to the monday edition of my bi-weekly bilingual bi-weekly behind the scenes dm only live stream crafting ice one day i wish i were i wish it were bilingual which i build right and prepare for our next session of rhyme of the frost maiden i took like five years of spanish throughout uh, my public school and into my college years and i am still not very good at Speaking Spanish. If you're playing characters of a Robin Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed, this is not for you. But for the rest of you, welcome. Full of spoilers. We stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday evening. Watch all of our D&D sessions and reviews here on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at Rogue Watson and join our official Discord server with invite link into the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. For our campaign, we use roll20.net for streaming. I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. I need to update our level to eight because I pulled the trigger, I did the thing, and I'm going to allow my players to level up to eight. It was a big story moment. Uh, I really appreciate the discussion, the back and forth we had uh, via mainly the Discord chat and through these crafting streams about whether or not to do it. Um, but ultimately, I think it, a big part of what Sylvan Fox said too is like, hey, this is, it's milestone leveling and that was a milestone. Like, <laughs> it doesn't get more milestone-y than having a major, uh, you know, main quest advance. And if you don't get a level up from that, then what are we even doing here? So I think that was the way to go. And like I said, there's plenty of content. And I certainly, it's interesting because the first half, that first arc is, I had the same problem with Tomb, the same issue with Tomb, which is you're worried the players are going to out-level that tier one content because there is a big power jump once they reach that coveted level 5 and the marshals get extra attack and the spellcasters get third level spell slots and all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, all these wonderful things are suddenly just going to have to be scaled up and all this, it's just so much work. So, at least in my experience, you end up spending a little bit more time in those levels. Now, once you get up to these later levels, you know, the difference between level 6 and 8 is not as big as 3 and 5, for example. So, it maybe not as big of a deal in terms of I'm not worrying as much about my players leveling up too quickly. So maybe that's also just a weird factor of how um, quickly that, that power spike is in play during those early levels uh, versus, um, you know, later on in the tier two. Hello, Nate, Pythagoras, Jeremy, good morning. Morgan, CG4279. Stan, almost caught up with last game session. Nice. Still only enough Spanish to get my old fat ass tapped. 
I mean, I wish, uh, I, I really wish I knew more. My, my sister actually uh, majored in German and is completely fluent in German. Uh, my ancestry is German-Irish, and she and my mom can kind of speak some of it. Um, and that's that's cool that they can do that. I never had any interest in, <laughs> I guess, learning that. I was more practical and been like, I mean, look, we live in Texas. Like everybody's speaking Spanish everywhere. Like that's something that's actually like I had you know friends growing up that spoke a lot of Spanish, and uh, that's was my interest level. But it man, it's hard. You you really have to. Uh, it's really hard to just learn it in school. Like you have to have the motivation to go and learn on your own at home. Like a lot of skills. Wish they were better about teaching kids in public schools multiple languages. I slurp my coffee. Hey, Sylvan. So uh, we officially don't need to talk about the dig site anymore. We're done with the dig site. We can move on. Uh, they're gonna level up in Bryn Shander, and then they told me Dark Duchess is next. Uh, which is a quest they've had for a while, I believe, since they went to Korkalok. Um, I've basically had that in my back pocket for uh, if they want to do it. I need to upgrade their main active quest. And we're all talking about our language skills. I like it. Uh, let's see. Main quest. What's the most succinct way to update this? I'm not a fan of just doing straight typing while streaming, so I know that's less entertaining for all of you, and yet I'm still prepping for my stuff, so it's still useful. This was session 43, actually, was the last one, wasn't it? Um, actually, it would have been session 42 that that event had. It was the end of session 42 um, that that happened. Um, we'll say... The a ghostly let's see a ghostly version of Ness Lantamir, which I don't need to explain because I just explained in the previous paragraph. Uh, had possessed a deep gnome when a party of deep gnomes tunneled up from the underdark and discovered the divination orb divina divination orb <laughs> um and uh, let's see the ghost attacked possessed valin unleashed terrible spells I don't know, wrecked havoc and disappeared. Her last words teased her next destination. Explain this in as simple manner as possible. I'm just kind of recap. This is basically like, hey, if, if players need to look up information, it's there um, for them to see and for me too, really. Next destination. Bring her lover, Valish Gaunt. From the prison, Revel's End. There you go, that's the next clue to your main quest. Yeah, and, and ideally they would 
complete normally the pacing would be they would complete another two locations before leveling up again but if it's if one like like if a Yarlmoot or something I feel like that's going to be a pretty quick one um I don't know if I would even count that as one so and maybe maybe it would take 3 for the next one because they leveled up so quickly uh for this one and yeah ripples okay that's there you go see I could write like journal entries for video games <laughs> this is basically what this is you lost Valen. All right, so Dark Duchess. Um, we actually have talked about this quite a bit, so we can go back to talking about it, but we can also talk about the encounters I've got along the way. The friends we made along the, the way. Um, it is... I mean, obviously they can go to Targos, which takes an hour, and then they go to... Targos to Dark Duchess because Bremen's basically gone. Could do that ghostly encounter, but we just fought a bunch of ghosts, so I don't think I'm going to do it. Targos to Bremen is 20 miles, which is about under 7 hours. So, and yes, we probably will be uh Adding another troll in there. I mentioned I wanted to do encounters. I'm not big on overland encounters for various reasons. Um, Tomb kind of broke me of that because it was a hex crawl. But uh, I do think they work well on the way to the dungeon if you just kind of include that in the dungeon pacing because they're not going to get a rest between uh, there and the destination they're going to. In fact, if we add... Uh, if we do have the giant lead to Jarlmoot, that's all going to be in one adventuring day, because then they'll continue from Jarlmoot to the Dark Duchess, we specifically have. Um, and that could be the... Oh man, I'm really leaning towards using... What do y'all think about Jarlmoot? Like, really, like, uh, if, you've, if you've run uh, this campaign, or you've at least looked in the book or something, let me know your thoughts on Jarlmoot, because now would be probably the time that I'd want to throw it in there. Which is the uh, Yarlmoot being the... the uh, we actually talked about this one on last um, Thursday's uh, crafting briefly, which was uh, like, what if the players go to Dark Duchess next, and then what if we use the giant encounter to tease Yarlmoot? So first, I'm going to handle myself. Let's talk about the giant encounter. Um, the giant encounter um, slash polar bear encounter, which I believe is this map right here. Which um, I may change this map out. We'll see if I if I need to. It's not the most attractive uh, snowy map. And ignore this weird snow bright light effect. That's something Roll Twenty does. Uh, whenever people have different lighting means, but and I've got the wagon up here because they'll actually be on the wagon. Um, but in this particular encounter, obviously uh, the one in the book. Look at the one in the book. What I like doing wilderness encounters is ones that are obviously scripted from that location. And uh, they do a good job of reflecting the environment or the ongoing storyline. So like in Prince of the Apocalypse, I liked using the encounters that involved um, all of the uh, cultists, like, you know, ravaging the uh, the area or, you know, stealing things or trying to detonate, um, you know, bombs essentially around towns, like all those kind of things. 
Um, in Tomb, it was a lot of like you know dinosaurs and undead and just Tomb had a lot of really cool encounters. Honestly, that's you know the jungle uh, cool jungle hex scroll. Um, this one, you know, we've seen Yeti. I've done the Goliath Werebear. We've seen Crag Cats. Honestly, the Mountain took care of a lot of these. Um, the Ice Troll, we're, we're, we're going to get at Dark Duchess. We just fought a Cold Light Walker. Having a Frost Druid and friends. Obviously, I've used um, Talking Animals and a Frost Druid before. I've used Jarl and Berserker before. I've used the Dwarves. Um, I've seen. I've done a Snowy... I've, I've really honestly gone through most of these things. Um, the only thing I haven't done yet... That is a straight up like monster fight would be the Peritons, which is specifically like, like for near a mountain or something, which unfortunately at this point, my players are really leveling beyond having Peritons be that scary unless I do like, you know, four or six of them or something crazy. Um, in terms of like, hey, I want an actual fight that leaves us. If you notice, I skipped two of them. There's a frost giant riding a mammoth. And of course, the ancient white dragon, Avira Acheres. <laughs> Aviatris, I think. Uh, which are both marked as deadly. Which, uh, fantastic, that's what we're looking for. And I'm probably going to use both of them. I-, I will use both of them on our way to Dark Duchess. Obviously, Aviatris will uh, tease her actual presence at Dark Duchess, which is going to be very tricky, but I'm looking forward to it. And the Frost Giant could tease Yarlmoot, because there is no better way to introduce uh, that quest. I could go with a Blizzard. Yeah, Jeremy. Um environmental encounter for sure i feel like a blizzard is most interesting when combined with an another combat encounter so like cold light walkers coming you know like just do like a frost maintenance caught up to the party thing and do like you know a bunch of cold light walkers approaching and a blizzard happening um which that could lead to black cabin or something um clearly blizzards should be happening around the area and that you know it could just be a simple the problem is they've got a wagon they can kind of hunker down and just wait out a blizzard so it's more like a it's like an rp moment versus like actual debilitating of resources kind of thing you know it's not like they're outside trudging through and plus they're gonna be level eight like at some point you're blue is not mundane but like like a normal like encounter that would frighten lower level players shouldn't necessarily apply to them so i almost feel like you could montage your way through those things unless you combined them unless you said okay here's a blizzard and you know here's an ice troll or something then then, then it gets pretty interesting because you're adding um a, a hazard on top of the encounter. So the frost giant. Out of that. Even a raging blizzard can't conceal the presence of a frost giant riding a mammoth as the earth rumbles and tumbles with every one of the mammoth's heavy footfalls. The frost giant has come down from the spine of the world mountains to hunt for wild game on the tundra or on the shores of the sea of moving ice. Characters hide in the stone, keep their distance. The giant's mount continue unimpeded, and the encounter ends without bloodshed. You know, just hide, and even there's no skill check for doing that, so I don't know why. Characters who confront the giant and the mammoth are in for the fight of their lives. The evil giant is happy to claim their heads as trophies as well as their treasures. In addition to its great axe, the giant carries a large net, uses it to catch walruses and seals, as well as an enormous lance made from a sharpened mast that uses to spear creatures while it is mounted. That is cool. Lance deals 3d12 plus 6 piercing damage to the giant's hands, which I think is the same as its axe, but it's cool for flavor. A character who can speak giant can use an action to change the frost giant's attitude from hostile to indifferent. By offering it treasure worth at least a thousand gold pieces, or by convincing it that the party's on a quest that would benefit Frost Giants in some way. <laughs> Wait, we come in peace. For example, the Frost Giant considers Aviatris a natural enemy and might spare adventurers who claim to be hunting the Great White Dragon. The Giant might also allow characters to pass unmolested if they claim to be on a quest for the spirits of Jarlmoot. 
Changing the dragon's attitude in this way requires successful DC 17 charisma. That condition is insufficient bribe or convincing story. That is the encounter as written. Yeah, suddenly the dragon wizard snowdrift encounter. We're working on it. How about doing some kind of an ice shell bring a party as they go across? You're gonna have a killer whale attacking from below. Uh, mm. You know, you could do a lot of really cool ice quests. I don't think there are any cool ice quests. Um, by ice, I mean like when you're at the sea of moving ice. That seems like a real missed opportunity, doesn't it? For the players, um, considering one of the entire chapters takes place on an island, so like crossing the sea of ice is part of the main quest, and yet there's really no. Uh, I don't think any encounters or content for that. Um, I'm skipping ahead for a second because that's a cool thing to talk about. Let's see. Ship from Rebels End. The Griffin. Yeah, none of them say. It doesn't. There's just. Yeah, there's. It's so weird. There's just nothing there. You feel like that would at least be a, something, <laughs> something interesting to have happen. Um, so it, what you're saying is maybe closer to Dark Duchess, but Dark Duchess is kind of right on the edge. But that that I could throw something at them. Unfortunately, now it's going to be like I'm throwing too many things at them um, before they make the Dark Duchess. But I will say there is a chance. The Talking Whale is Angajuk. Yeah, that's that's another one. Um, there is a chance they could get through this without an actual battle. So I'm keeping the part about it being a frost giant riding a mammoth. Um, that's about all I'm keeping. <laughs> uh, and I guess his unique equipment. He's got a net. You know what I would do is maybe he gets to use that net as a multi-attack or something. Because I would not want to use that as the only action. But it would be kind of cool if he threw that net on somebody and restrained him. There's a normal frost giant. Which again, frost giant can be pretty scary. But the party is a full level 8. Fully well-rested level 8 party. Um, can easily, I think, easily take down a frost giant, frankly. Um, now, a frost giant riding a mammoth gets a little trickier, but a mammoth is still just a beast. So, I, I'm sure it can be manipulated in some ways, but and only has the one attack. Although it's a plus 10 for 30 damage. <laughs> Wowzers. What a swingy fight this could be. Jesus. Two great X attacks, and then it's got its lance, which does the same damage. I would give it that net. Um, let's see. Is a net is an item. Can I just throw it on here? Net. Net thrown. Range of 515. A largest monkey by net is restrained until it's freed. It's action to make a DC 10 strength check. Surely we can up that DC, right? What's the mammoth DC? Did it have a DC called in it? DC 18 strength check. Oh, that's too high. Uh, I'm going to give it the same roll as the rock. Let's do minus one. That's not going to work for me. Plus nine, sucker. Strength. Uh, I don't know. Make it a, let's make it a 15. DC 15. Make it a super weighted net, dealing slashing damage. The net also frees the creature without harming it. Um, that seems dumb. 
So basically just one attack freeze somebody. When you use, all right, I need to delete all this. When you use an action, bonus action, or a reaction to attack with a net. Oh, I see. When you, or no, when you attack with a net. All right, I think I'm going to delete all of that. Say you need to make an action to free them. Well, no, somebody's going to want to cut their way out. That makes sense. He's actually making a 15 strength check, freeing itself or another creature with an recess. Dealing. You just say, I don't know. Let's just say 15. Deal 15 slashing damage. And then we can keep AC 10. Also freeze a creature. Not harming it. Any of the effect of destroying the net. All right. That makes it a little less stupid. But I would let it absolutely throw its uh, net. And throw the net. Great axe slash lance attacks. That is how you modify our little dude. Did they outrun the frost giant? Maybe they could outrun a frost giant. They probably can't outrun a frost giant riding a mammoth. Um, so I'm going to change it where it'd be cool if... Well, let me show you this. So I'm using... Um, a, I'm using a specific encounter from a book on the DM's Guild called, called Icewind Dale Expanded, and I've done this before, but I'll do it again. I will paste a link, also I will paste my review live chat, which in the review I stated, hey, I might use this in my campaign. Um, and then I will actually, um switch over to it so you can see what I'm looking at. I have to switch to my... Uh, switch to my DM's Guild review section, so with, uh, stick with me. Alright, here we go. So, I hope this is kosher, but I'm just going to show you one page. I mean, you watch my reviews. I, I show, you know, DM's Guild content anyway. Um, so this is from the book uh, Icewind Dale Expanded. Uh, by Azale Ulbrinter, and includes 15 encounters and maps specifically designed for the Rime of the Frostmaiden storyline. Most of them take place um, around 10 towns or um, around the tundra, and this one, yeah, it does include a lot of maps, which is very helpful. Uh, this one called Wrath of the Giant, I just thought was like an upgraded, cooler version of the frost giant one in the book is the one in the book is just hey it's a frost giant and a mammoth and he's hostile and he's gonna attack this one says first you find a polar bear uh named greasner i like that the polar bears have names and it's a lone polar bear wearing armor and dragging attack and harness as if it were a domesticated animal you can roll insight check though i'd also argue you could roll all the animal checks nature survival or animal handling and all whatever to tell the animal looks exhausted and uh, it's running away. In this in this story, which I'm going to have to tweak this one a little bit, but essentially a frost giant is trying to um, train or domesticate uh, polar bears for its uh, hunting, um, like hunting dogs, basically. And I love the fact that, you know, people use hunting dogs. So, of course, a fucking badass frost giant uses polar bears as his hunting animal companions. Um, however, this one has basically run away from its fight 
and is very exhausted and hurt and just is, I don't know, just a kind soul or whatever you want that is not cut out for doing this. And so the party can deal with this bear however they want. Um, more than likely, they will either, you know, run away from the bear or uh, maybe want to try to, and I'm hoping because, guess what, I can use it as the same bear that uh, uh, Edmund, um, shit, except he's probably not going to be here this week, I just realized. Because he's having a baby. Um, oh, well. Um, <laughs> but it'll be the same polar bear that he had befriended in the Foaming Mugs uh, quest from the very beginning of the campaign, which is an awesome callback that I can do, and I'm really looking forward to doing that. And then later, assuming the, the players like think they've befriended this polar bear and it's like following them or whatever, um, then a frost giant named Burgomir approaches the party and it's and he's got a tame polar bear with him wearing barding, which increases the uh, polar bear's AC. And he's basically gestures and speaks to the party. And essentially, um, you know, he's just been in a fight. And unfortunately, in this one, it says they're like hunting a young white dragon. I'm going to have to change all of that because I don't want to confuse like he's not obviously not hunting Abiatris and that there would be another dragon around this area. So it would, that part doesn't really work, but uh, maybe he's just using it to like hunt herd animals or whatever else. Um, and essentially it creates a, a social dilemma because or what I'd like it to do is that the players um, have uh, hopefully they've got this bear with them. And then the giant is like, that's my fucking bear. You need to give that back. And then the players can either just a give it right back and return it, in which case the giant, you know, maybe the giant will feel, uh, you know, if I really want to press the effort, maybe the, the giant will start like shaking them down and, you know, tell them to give him all his treasure and things because he's feeling pretty high and mighty um, and, and really try to force a, a combat situation just because I think the giant would do that um, at the beginning. Uh, or the players can refuse, in which case the giant would obviously uh, go hostile at that point. So just kind of creating an interesting like social dilemma before this uh, fight breaks out. I'm leaning towards having it be a fight just because I think uh, otherwise I don't have a, you know, I don't really plan on using frost giants much. Um, and, you know, we haven't fought mammoth or anything. And I think this is a, a cool opportunity for it. And plus the players are freshly well rested. So it's a great chance to kind of knock them around a little bit. Um but I think that's the gist of it. I mean, it's a pretty simple just upgrade, but I love the idea of him, of this frost giant, like specifically using these bears. Now in this one, it doesn't have the frost giant um, riding the woolly mammoth. It just has him with the polar bear. And if you can see there, it's designed for levels five through six. Now my characters are eight. So I figure, okay, let's basically combine these two encounters. Let's keep the frost giant riding the woolly mammoth with his awesome lance and net and everything. But now we're going to add a polar bear on top of that and really a second polar bear, depending on how the players, if they treat the first one, maybe they'll have that polar bear ally, you know, that can fight. And then, or maybe that polar bear more than likely would just run away because it, it's too afraid. And then they're just trying to defend against this poor polar bear that ran away. Um, I need to figure out what kind of reward they could get. Uh, in this case, it says, hey, you keep the polar bear as an ally. Uh, Maybe <laughs> that gets a little bit much. I just gave them a freaking robot, a little robot drilling buddy as an ally. Polar bears are pretty strong and would be kind of hard to have upkeep with them. Maybe it would hang out with them for, I don't know. You wouldn't even be able to let it into dark Duchess though. So I, I guess it depends. Like we can, I, I could be flexible with that. One frost giant plus one mammoth plus two polar bears adds up to be between hard and deadly, depending on how you calculate. I'd rate it as hard once he lists as deadly to five level eight characters. 
Yeah, the problem is, what well, is there? It's always underestimating the players, isn't it? But again, they could easily have the one polar bear on their side, which completely changes. Then that kind of cancels the polar bear out almost. Um, and I feel like because they're beasts, that makes it. I guess they don't have anything specifically that would be beasts. But I'm picturing like, what if Thimbleweed wants to use speak with beasts and then talk to the other, you know, mammoth or polar bear and try to convince them? And you know, I could work with that a little bit. Um, what I thought about instead of, instead of this being a I'm going to switch back to the roll 21, by the way. Instead of this being like a just a treasure reward. There we go. Um, why not if if the players either actually kill this giant or more than likely the giant surrenders, then the reward can be the giant says, okay, you've all proven yourselves to be very strong. Um, you know, maybe he... And maybe his whole purpose for being out here is to go visit Yarmut and get, you know, the blessing of the, uh, whatever Yarmut does. I forget, I need to look at that location. But he's he's tied to this location in some way. And and he's the one that actually reveals the location to the players and says, hey, if you're worthy, you know, you've bested me. I feel like you're worthy to go to Yarmut and speak to the great giants there and they will bestow great power upon you. And, you know, they can roll insight on that and... uh uh, he was telling the truth. Like, as far as he knows, they they would, um, you know, bestow great power upon anybody. What the players don't know is they will have to then com- first complete the trials that the Frost Giant Spirit set upon them, which is a bunch of combat at the beginning, and then um, that little kind of fifth element puzzle that I'll need to rework. But it's a really easy um, location to run. It's very, very tiny, um, and I think it could still be satisfying because it's going to have... It, it, it what's amazing about this area it's so tiny and yet it has a puzzle combat and a social encounter in like the span of three rooms or something like that's awesome right because you show up you've got the ghost spirits talking to you then it summons an arena that you have to fight and you could i could really have fun with this for level eight you could do like rounds in the arena and all this cool shit like waves of enemies and then at the end, it can speak to them again, and then it raises up, and you go down there, and then you have to complete the puzzle. And then when you complete the puzzle, then you finally get the the nice treasure at the end. So essentially, it is a treasure map, Jeremy, um, but probably not literally, probably just the location of uh, Yarmu. But if they do kill the Frost Giant, then I would have to actually have him, you know, some kind of map. Um, that w- It would just be more cryptic about what it would be, I guess. Um in terms of getting this location. So even though we're like, my players are like, let's go to dark Duchess. I'm like, okay, I need to prep dark Duchess, but also maybe I'm actually prepping your instead. <laughs> There's a chance they could ignore Yarmu, but my plan would be um, to let them follow up on it pretty quickly, but maybe not necessarily because it's up to me where I want to put this thing. So default it's down here. I could clearly move this closer if I wanted to. Um, to me, I feel like Yarmut wouldn't make any sense being by... Well, Frost Giants are on the sea, aren't they? They're, they're, they're the sea raiders, so actually being near the Sea of Moving Ice would make sense. We could put it, like, you know, here or something, like, to where it's close by, to where the players would be like, yeah, let's just go do that now. Or maybe they'll go on to dark... I don't know. They could do either one in any order. A five-gallon bucket. That's a pain in the ass to haul around a five-gallon bucket, man. That is a, uh, that's a, that's a two-hander, and you're not, and you're, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I clean fish tanks 
you know, multiple times or uh, twice a month, I guess. Uh, the three fish tanks in my house, so I know all about how heavy water is. <laughs> That's uh, th there's a there's an item that does uh, what is that? Kaogtum's forget the spelling of it, but it's an ointment. Um, that's essentially pretty close to what you're describing, where it's like, there it is, Chao yeah, Chaotum's ointment. It's a jar, but you could basically um, modify that and have it be like this big potion, this giant healing potion that's got multiple doses. I don't know why you don't apply it to your skin when you can just drink it. <laughs> Swallowed or applied to the skin, that's a weird substance. That that gives you the benefit either way. What a bizarre substance. Creature that received this. Now this one's better, obviously. That's way better than a regular healing potion. 2d8 plus 2. Rid of any disease. So you could just give them the equivalent of this. D4 plus 1 doses. That would be pretty that would be a good reward. Yeah, I can do that. I could do that plus the Yarmut. Yes, one gallon of water is eight pounds. That is true. That is very true. I mean, you've all probably gotten a gallon of milk before, so you can guess how heavy, um, you know, a several gallons is, like carrying several gallons of milk in a bucket. <laughs> it's pretty heavy. So I like... I like this encounter. Um, I don't know where exactly to put it, but I like describing it first as um, this polar bear... You know, and I'm not going to show the players this map until, um, you know, what I will do is I'll, I'll show it a little bit earlier because I do want this to be a fight. And again, I might actually use a different map here, but, um, you know, there, there's a psychological thing where if you show the players a battle map too soon, they'll want to jump into a fight. But the revert that that can be handy in another way, which is if I do kind of want to push them into a fight, which I think a fight would be um, fun here, frankly, then. I can show them the battle map early, right? Like, right when when the polar bear approaches, there won't be a map. But when the giant approaches, I can actually reveal this map, and then we can have that dialogue, and of course, have him be far enough apart where he can get that um, mammoth charge off. Mammoth moves at least twenty feet straight toward a creature, and then hits it with a gore attack on the same turn. Target must succeed on DC eighteen strength saving throw. Be knocked prone. The target is prone. The mammoth can make one stomp attack against it. God, that is so swingy. If you can get that off, because let's be let's be honest, how often are you, are you getting a charge attack off on your enemy mounts, right? Unless you have a bunch like lined up in different areas. Like I've got one. I'm only going to get this charge attack off one this entire fight, right? So it's going to do that once. And if I you know shit the bed on initiative, the players, the marshals are just going to come up here, and then that mammoth's not charging at all. Now. You could argue, okay, with its hit points, I'm just going to run back and then run 20 feet ahead just so I can get it off. I could probably get away with that once, um, although opportunity attacks can be pretty nasty. It does have a 40-foot move speed, so it can easily move back 20 feet and then charge another 20 feet. But that's because that's crazy if it could actually get... Because if it's prone, he gets uh, advantage on that stomp attack. Look at the damage this thing does. Oh yeah, the giants can throw rocks, isn't it? That doesn't seem very thematic that he can just throw boulders from... also find that a weird thing. For like frost giant, like a, a lot of giants feel more um, like they're more... Not civilized, but they're using advanced weapons. Like, I can picture a hill giant like just picking up a boulder, you know, and just hucking a boulder. Um, but, but giants that actually wield 
weapons that other than like tree trunk clubs and something like you know actual forged weapons I, I don't know the hucking of the rocks feels kind of goofy to me i feel like they would have ranged weapons but they really don't do they he does have his i mean lance and his axe. i mean frankly i don't know why the lance is the same thing as the axe um reach of 10 feet but yeah technically if he needs to i guess he can reach over grab a impacted snowball and hurl that at somebody for 30 damage but I like the net. I think the net adds a lot of fun to it. Um, the net does zero damage, but I would just let him have a couple nets, and he can every every round he'd just be tossing nets down. And uh, is it restrain? Yeah, it restrains people, which is cool. Basically, if it just hits, it restrains you until your turn, and then that puts you in bad shape. So I think that adds a cool component. Don't they build like ships and stuff? I mean, that's frost or fire giants that do all the things. A giant sized crossbow. Also known as a ballista. <laughs> I mean, I like the fact that he's. It's okay. I don't think he's going to get taken advantage of that much. And frankly, he is on a mount. He's going to be charging. I'm sure the players can do all kinds of bad shit. I mean, you know, Valrobin could open with a charm monster, for example, and just shut everything. Or, or charm. Per, uh, giants aren't humanoids, I guess. But Charm Monster works for everybody, so like he could charm the Mammoth, for example, underneath him, and that really fucks up the whole fight, so there's, you know, there's a lot the players can do to complete, but you know what? Then he used his fourth level spell slot, right? Like, as a DM, you can get upset about these things, but also if players are, are using spells, they're using um, finite resources to solve problems, I mean, that's what those resources are there for. So then he's not going to have that fourth level spell slot. The, the, the trick is is to keep to that adventuring day, right? You don't let them, like, long rest after this encounter, for example. They gotta keep going. They go to Yarmut on the same adventuring day. They go on to uh, uh, Dark Duchess on the same adventuring day. Like, you really string them along and make them uh, decide, uh, you know, if, is it worth using these abilities. So, if assuming the Frost Giants, or the players, beat up the Frost Giant enough, which I think they, I mean, yeah, they're going to be really strong, but, you know, there's still this many players. Um, at the very least, I don't see this polar bear entering the fight. Like, at the worst case scenario, I think it would run away. Um, the only the only way this is really going to screw me up is if the party chooses not to engage with this polar bear at all. And then they move on, and then the frost giant just shows up saying, where's my polar bear? And they say, we don't know what you're talking about. Then I'm like, well, shit. <laughs> but then it's just the Frost Giant's going to be like, well, maybe he can roll, you know, inside or something. Or he can just shake them down and be like, well, I'm just going to rob you guys anyway. Or or he notices Polar Bear tracks somewhere. I don't know. But I'm going to try to push it and really make him a belligerent asshole. Because that's the way he would treat a bunch of, you know, people out in the wilderness. The tricky thing is they're going to be probably in their wagon. So that makes things a little tricky um, during the encounter. That's why I've got it on the map here, because I do need to make mention of that. They're not just in the wilderness. I don't know the best way to handle that. Um, other than maybe I don't have time go by, and instead I have them come out, you know, in theory, leave the, at least some of them leave the wagon, you know, come up to this polar bear, interact with it, and then... While it's doing that, over the horizon, you know, over the horizon, you know what I mean, like cresting a snow bank, 
comes the frost giant with the polar bear instead of having them you know try to go along with the wagon with their polar bear or something that way in theory some of them are out and about and are uh welcome to be charged versus stuck in the wagon which is going to make things awkward for you know it gives them cover and uh you know the mammoth can't really charge anybody it can just kind of knock into the wagon i guess they have a chance that their wagon could be actually destroyed and their reindeer killed that would suck for them snowball tech at range knocks the wagon yeah i mean they would be in real danger here the frost giant could actually the frost giant on the mammoth is easily the same size as the wagon as we can clearly see in roll 20 um so we could do some serious damage to them we could almost turn this into a chase scene but again that the same problem i had with last time where that's it's the pcs being the ones being chased and not them doing the chasing if they wanted to try to outrun this thing so maybe that could be different too that's a good point sylvan that's a good point he's out here hunting beasts i just mentioned earlier he's uh hunting herds of animals there's um hardly any out here he's got the polar bears because he's you know desperate trying to have them you know range farther to get some food um and here they go um with some reindeer and maybe he's you know he was tracking a herd but lost him and maybe he was tracking the players but one of the polar bears broke away or maybe this polar bear is so i'm because i'm changing that part of the encounter in the encounter it said they fought a drag a, a young white dragon or something and that dragon and the polar bear took off because it didn't want to fight um that's not going to be the case here and maybe i could mention the fact that if i wanted to i could tie it together and say that if i really wanted to have another foreshadowing quest I could have this frost giant say, which by the way, we do run into the language barrier problem. Frost giants only speak giant. Nobody in my party speaks giant. Balravin does have his um, universal translator ability, but it only allows people to understand him. So there's a weird, you know, I, I could have probably, I'll probably have the frost giant know like a few words in common enough to like, you know, roughly try and explain the situation, but there is going to be a bit of a language barrier there, um, which Hopefully, we'll make things more interesting and not more frustrating. Now I'm trying to think of what the motivation was there. Like, maybe was was he actually hunting Aviatris, which he would be outclassed though, and he would know he would know an ancient white dragon in this area. He would not be fucking with that dragon. Like he knows, he's got to know that thing is well beyond him and his mammoth and his little army of polar bears. Even if he's got polar bears, he yeah, had draw pictures in the snow. Um. So I probably am not going to do that. I'll probably just have him be hunting herds of animals. What's interesting is I could have him like just have that pull. If I what I just mentioned, having the polar bears range and um, looking for uh, animals, and maybe he, this polar bear just found the the players' wagons. So maybe the players initially think, "Oh shit, it's a polar bear attack," um, but then they wreck it. But then Edmund can recognize that polar bear. Be like, wait a minute, I know this polar bear. Yeah, and Lista could know giant. That'd be pretty funny. Um, and because I know the polar bear, maybe I can, you know, talk to and and Thimbleweed, of course, can do speak with beasts, and maybe they can get information from this polar bear and tease the fact that this, you know, yeah, I'm, you know, it's been tough out here. <laughs> trying to think of what the polar bear would say. It's been rough ever since I left you guys, and you know that I found a new boss. He's a lot bigger than the old boss, which was the goblins. Um, you know, still trying to 
find food and things have been real desperate but i see there's some food here so you know i'm gonna help myself and the players are like no no you can't eat our reindeer and all that and uh and then maybe the other frost giant catches up to him and says what you and that actually makes it a little bit more different it makes it a little trickier for the players if this polar bear hasn't actually been like necessarily abused or mistreated or anything like that instead it's just working for the frost giant now even though the frost giant's still a big tough asshole uh, he's not necessarily uh, uh, cruel, um, and that could add an interesting element. So in that case, depending on how the players act, they may or may not gain that temporary polar bear ally, and then depends on the other ones as well. It could be a whaler. <laughs> I mean, it says his net, it specifically says, is used to catch, uh, what was it, seals? where it says that uh, the giant carries a large net uses to catch walruses and seals so he's hunting around uh, the coast so maybe I should put him closer to the sea and, and should I do the aviatrus encounter first this polar bear has more backstory than most species <laughs> that's kind of true I need to go back to like the first episode and see if Edmund like named it or something. It was literally, I think the, uh, it was probably the, it was either the end of session one or the beginning of session two, where literally it was they, cause they drove that wagon from foamy mugs back to town and it was, had the polar bears on it. And it, it, it probably both these polar bears, honestly, I think that's, that'd be the funniest thing to do. It's just a funny callback. Like, Hey, these are the same polar bears. Cause of course they are. <laughs> of course they are. But maybe it would make more sense to put him more next to the coast. Um, not like on top of Dark Duchess, still a ways inland. And I could have Aviatris actually um, further away. And then maybe that would be a fun way of saying, of, of foreshadowing, but letting the players forget. So if I do the Aviatris encounter, which that one is one I will probably run pretty close to the book, actually. Known to 10 tanners of the White Worm. Aviatris is an ancient white dragon layers atop the rugged glacier. She means the most fearsome predator in Icewind Dale. Um, although she's kind of senile and old. Blind sight, hearing, and sense of smell are diminished. Oh, sorry, undiminished. Uh, even though her normal eyesight is 60 feet. Uh, she doesn't hunt people. She has a healthy respect for humanoids. Has never threatened 10 towns directly. Um, she has the wizard named Melathron, whose frozen corpse remains strata to her saddle on the dragon's back. Never acknowledged his death and still speak to his bodies if he were alive. Just absolutely fantastic. I also want to... This would be a great one to run during the blizzard as well. Um, the dragon is buried under heavy snow, waiting out the storm with their outstretched wings. I mentioned this before, but the only thing you see is, like, the corpse um, sitting in the snow. And if the players, like, call out to it or get close enough or something... In this entire snow pile rise and this massive dragon just like shakes you know everybody off and uh i, I probably turn that into a little bit of a uh something fun there like right like damage or uh, you know not just falling prone but actually like maybe taking some falling damage um and then she'll look around but the players can be like suit you know i want to make this not it, it should not be a combat encounter but it should be an oh shit we need to like not do anything uh, encounter. Yeah, see, now an old is the best kind of alpha predator. It's a fun one, I'll tell you that. It's real fun. But maybe I should do that one further. Maybe I should make that the first one they actually encounter. 
which I could have nothing happen, you know, for the first four or five hours of this trip. You know, it's a, what did I say, a little, like, six and a half hour trip. So you could put, you know, Aviatris here, like, right in the middle of the tundra, um, maybe here, and then you could have the, you know, an hour go by, and then you have a frost giant hunting up here. The only issue is if I do that, I'm pretty much guaranteeing they're still going to do Dark Duchess before Yarmouth, which is fine. Um, they could honestly do either one. During the body of a frost giant. <laughs> that would be interesting for sure. I was, Stan, I'll tell you what I was going to do. Uh, this would work really well if the players keep the Frost Giant alive, if he ends up um, surrendering and giving them the information. And especially works well if the players are like, you know, have taken some serious wounds and they're in bad shape also. I could have the Frost Giant, you know, um, basically call off the fight whenever he gets to like 30% hit points or something. But it, oh, I closed Yarmut. Um, Yarmut does, which this... This campaign does this several times, and usually it irritates the shit out of me, where, like, when you're leaving a dungeon, a monster approaches and you and you attack. It always, just The pacing always felt very weird to me. Um, and, like, literally every other dungeon it does this. And Yarlmoot does this, too. And when you're leaving... Let's see. I think it, maybe it's at the very end. I think a Frost Giant appears. Yeah, leaving Yarlmoot. Excuse me. Um... A frost giant is uh, appears um, to basically test herself, do the same thing the players just did, and she hopes to do all the tests and then make it inside and claim the treasure. And so when she sees the uh, the players have you know already done that, she immediately turns hostile and attacks. And she is in a ten foot long chain with an anvil bolted to the end of it, which is pretty awesome, even though it is mechanically just about the same thing. Um, Gromengorn. So I thought it'd be fun if um, the, assuming if they leave that Frost Giant alive, that Frost Giant could be the one to show up later, right? Especially if they leave like the Mammoth alive, depending on that whole situation, he could show up after Yarmut and say, you know, hey, thanks for clearing this this place out for me. And now that you're weakened, I'm going to kick your ass and take it for myself. And of course, he's gotten a full, you know, at, at least a short rest by then, which means he's been fully healed. So I thought that would be a cool, like, Final boss fight would be like the rematch against the Frost Giant after the players have gone through uh, Yarmut, but that mainly works if they go to Yarmut next, but even if they don't, they could still do Dark Duchess, and then the timing, I think, would still work out. It only works out well, of course, if I put Yarmut close enough where they do it as part of this adventuring day, which I think they would, but um, I would be interested to know all of your opinions on that, the order of encounter. So my plans for this upcoming session um is that the players are going to be on their way to dark duchess which means they are crossing everybody said this was 20 miles worth of tundra from targa i mean technically i guess bremen is you know bremen doesn't exist anymore but it's not dangerous so really you could say it's a six hour journey to dark duchess at some point i'm going to run that aviatris encounter which is going to be a blizzard descending on them they see the frozen corpse in the distance um and you know, what do they do with that? Do they go near it? Do they talk to it? Do they just stay back away from it? Either way, it, it doesn't. it's not a combat encounter, but if they do go near it, I can do, have a little bit of fun with them, but they'll see this massive dragon just, you know, shake off its head, and, and maybe I'll time it where the blizzard kind of ends, you know, if they want to wait it out, and they can see the dragon fly off. Otherwise, it'll just shake them off and look around, and then um, 
you know, just walk off, I guess. Um, I could do that one earlier, like do it, you know, halfway, and then I could do the giant further to Dark Duchess, in which case they would, pro if I keep Yarlmoot down here, they would probably just continue to Dark Duchess and then do Yarlmoot after that before returning back to town, which would be perfect. I think that's a probably enough content for one adventuring day. Easy right there. And would that be enough for level up? Beyond that, I don't know. Probably. I mean, you're doing two full locations. Neither of these are very big. Yarmouth is especially pretty tiny. Um, Dark Duchess, I'll be... Uh, expanding... Well, not, I'm not pretty much running it as is. I, I wish the book had more information about running when the dragon arrives. Because uh, I think that's going to be the trickiest thing to do. But it because it starts off as a dungeon crawl and then it goes pretty crazy. Dragon first. All right, I like that too. Also, if we do the dragon first, it becomes less obvious that like, oh, the dragon's also going to show up like in a second when you get to Dark Duchess. That way, instead like the dragon event, then we do the whole giant event, which helps you know reset the players' minds. And it, technically, they could go on to Yarmut at that point, which is stressful for me because I'll have to have both prepared. And then. Uh, or they could move on to Dark Duchess and then do Yarmut after the fact. But I, I, honestly, I, I like the idea of Yarmut a lot. I think it it's easy to run. Um, I will need to replace the final treasure. I believe Sylvan Fox talked about a different kind of horn rather than just the horn of blasting. Um, only because we had a horn of blasting in Storm King's Thunder and used it quite a bit. The only thing I'm still a little trepidatious about. I think one of these just summons warriors, and I'm less thrilled about those. Is that the Horn of Valhalla? Uh, yeah, warrior spirits from Valhalla appear within 60 feet of you. These are Berserker. Return to Valhalla after one hour for the drop. Until seven days have passed, which is crazy. And that's just way too many units. Like 2d4 plus 2 Berserker? That's insane. Like, I don't want to add that to combat. That just seems like a fucking pain in the ass. I'd rather have the horn, like, buff everybody or something. Like, in video games, this shit's really great. But in, like, an actual, I don't know, tabletop RPG, I'm not a big fan. But I want it to be specifically tied to frost. Like, this should be a frost giant ass thing. It doesn't have to be a horn either. It can be anything. But it has to be It has to be tied to frost giants in some way. Because it's, it's, like, it's like this big reward that frost giants specifically can earn. So it's a big deal. The players can get their hands on it. If I had um, more marshals, I could do a big weapon. But I feel like the only one who's going to use weapons is... Uh, Frey, and she's kind of already got a cool signature Goliath magic weapon. I don't know if I want to do that. I, I guess you could use multiple weapons. The mug of healing. But it should be, I like, I mean, the horns are cool. They feel very giant-y. An ear horn of hearing would be pretty fucking funny to put in there. All that work for an ear horn. A gift from Tiamat is the opposite of what giants would have. It's all dragons within 2,000 miles to rise and be wary for great dangers at hand. It's thunder damage. That's true. I can only use one for a week. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, I guess it's an ultimate, like, oh, shit. Well, I mean, the bad thing about these kind of items is, like, it's never going to get used then, right? It's, like, too precious. Like, I'm, I'm never going to use the item I can only use once per seven days. Are you kidding me? Like, no encounter is going to make me be like, oh, fuck, I need to use this now. I mean, in theory, there should be one, but I'm the kind of player who's going to hoard that forever and ever and ever. 
until literally maybe the final battle of the campaign. <laughs> And, and who the hell wants to track seven days? Like, I, like Lord. I, I do track how many days go by in our campaign, but... I don't know. And again, it does not have to be a horn. We don't have to be a horn. It, just because the default is the horn of blasting, which I, I could just use a horn of blasting. It's fine. Um, it doesn't even require attunement, does it? It just gives you... a 30-foot cone of 5d6 thunder damage. It doesn't even have any... You could just use this as many times as you want, except you have a 20% chance of causing the horn to explode. <laughs> There's that. Also, why does it say, why does it even say 20% chance? You use D&D &D rules. Say, okay, roll uh, 1d10 on a roll of 1 to 2, it blows up. Or roll a 1d, I guess it's a percentile, roll 1d100. Now a rune would be pretty cool, yeah. Funny thing is, we didn't actually, engage, uh, for those of you that watched our Storm King's Thunder campaign, none of us ended up engaging with those runes hardly at all. And then at, near the end, or maybe about halfway through the campaign, Chris gave us an option to turn in our runes for like permanent stat boost, and we like 90% of us chose to do that. <laughs> so I don't know if that was just us not wanting to do it for some reason or what the reason was. I don't know. Yeah, all of these. Laws of the Worm Rune. So the idea is you can... You've got this as a magic item. But you can also turn it into a... Or put it on an item or something. In this case, you put it on a place. Banner of the Krig Rune. Like I think we literally like used had these in Storm King's Thunder and we just did not really use them. Yeah, you put them on the ground. So it's an interesting idea, but I remember not being very impressed with them at the time. What is that? Uh Ravnica's got a bunch of key runes? That one's pretty good. It's an action. You can fly up to 20 feet. Jesus. You can't suffocate. Reaction when you fall. You cause yourself to take no damage from the fall. You cast Levitate as a bonus action. Good lord. That's, that one's really good. Probably too good. Immune to Dragon Fear. Yeah, there's just not... I mean... Other than Aviatris, that's really the only dragon in this campaign. I'll look at him though. That's that's a neat idea. Maybe I can find something. Maybe I can um, jigger something that's like, uh, yeah, yeah, like a pair of boots or something that has some of these frost giant uh, rune qualities on them, and uh, kind of maybe custom make a frost giant item that could be, in theory, used by anybody. Or it could be like a set, too. I could go with an interesting um, set of, of, you know, a couple items. Because if it's you're doing all of Yarlmoot for this reward, you could have like, hey, here's a spear and a pair of boots and a cloak. You know, it's a big giant-sized cloak, but magic items, you know, they fit whoever 
um, is attuning to it. So something like that. So I like uh, the idea of doing the Aviatris encounter first, which is just going to tease her existence. It's not going to be a fight or anything like that. Kind of just flavor world building. And then the giant encounter, which again is is pretty much taken from that Icewind Dale expanded book. I like the polar bear idea. I'm probably going to change the motivations around and have it be the polar bears are actually, you know, mostly loyal, um, you know, hunting dogs of the frost giant searching for food. And maybe they find the players is a wagon full of reindeer and like, Hey, here's some food. And that leads the frost giant to them. And that creates this basically in, it'll start off a social encounter, but depending like it should be 80% chance of a fight. Like technically there's things that players could do to avoid a fight there. If they just appeal, maybe they agree like, Hey, yeah, take, you know, half our reindeer. Um, you know, if, if they really just appease the frost giant, then I guess he could technically back down, but it's also going to be a bit of a mouse if you give a mouse a cookie situation, like if they start giving him things, he'll start asking for more shit. And eventually hopefully I can just piss the players off and, and get that fight. <laughs> um, and then whether they kill him or uh, he surrenders, he can then give them the Yarlmoot location. And I'll put that, you know, either here or somewhere relatively close by to them. So they can make that part of their uh, adventuring day journey here. Um, but Probably they'll just continue on to Dark Duchess after that. And then we can run Dark Duchess, which we're going to have to actually talk back, talk about next time because it's already been a freaking hour, uh, if you believe that. Time flies. We're having fun here on the crafting stream. So I will have to see you all on uh, Thursday. That will do it for uh, today's session of Crafting Icewind Dale. If you enjoy the content, please do check out Patreon.com slash Rogue Watson. Shouts to Platinum Patrons. Joe, Will, Tiny Dancer, Thomas, Adam, Stan, William, I'm Loud, Kyle, Brandon, Genocider, David, Nebula, 99, Eclectic, and Roleplayer, Roll. Gold Patrons, RPG, Papercrafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcus, Dead Lizard, Lion, Sam, Lumpy Spuds, Jerome, Nathan, Fast Like a Tortoise, and James. Thank you all very much for your support. I will see you on Crafting Icewind Dale on Thursday. Have a good one.